Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 31, Working in Groups, Part 2 The adrenaline was pumping and pumping into Neville's blood until he felt like he could hardly breathe. We're closing in! said General Potter in a voice barely loud enough to carry to the whole army. Time to spread out! Neville's comrades moved away from him. They would still support each other, but if you clustered together, the enemy would have a much easier time hitting you. Fire aimed at one of your comrades might miss and get you instead. You would be a lot harder to hit if you spread out and moved as fast as you could. The first thing General Potter had done during their training sessions was get them to fire on each other when both sides were running fast, or both stood still and took time to aim, or one was moving and one was standing still. The reverse charm to the sleep hex was simple, though you weren't allowed to use it during real battles. General Potter had carefully recorded everything that happened, done some figuring and ciphering, and then announced that it made more sense for them to focus not on slowing down to aim carefully, but on moving fast so they wouldn't get hit. It still bothered Neville a little not to be marching side by side with his comrades, but the scary battle cries they'd learned were already thundering in his head, and that made up for a lot. This time, Neville silently vowed to himself, his voice was absolutely positively not going to squeak. Shields up, said General Potter. Power to forward deflectors. Contigo, muttered the army, and the circular screen sprang into existence before their heads and chests. A sharp taste filled Neville's mouth. General Potter wouldn't have ordered them to cast shields unless they were almost in range. Neville could see the uniformed shapes of dragons moving through the dense screens of trees, and the dragons would be seeing them as well. Attack! came a cry from the distance, the voice of Draco Malfoy, and General Potter bellowed, Charge! All the adrenaline in Neville's blood was unleashed, and his legs took over, sending him flying faster than he'd ever run before, straight toward the enemy, knowing without needing to look that all his comrades were doing the same. Blood for the blood god! Screamed Neville. Skulls for the skull throne! Ea! Chub Niggeroth! The enemy's gate is sideways! There was a soundless impact as a sleep spell wasted itself against Neville's shield. If there had been other spells fired, they hadn't hit. Neville saw the brief look of fear on Wayne Hopkins' face as he stood beside two Gryffindors Neville didn't recognize, and then Neville dropped the simple shield and fired at Wayne. Missed! His racing legs went straight past the enemy grouping and toward another three dragons, their wands coming up on him, their mouths opening. Not even thinking about it, Neville dived down to the forest floor just as the three voices cried, Somnium! It hurt, hard stones and hard twigs digging into Neville as he rolled. It wasn't as bad as falling off his broomstick, but he'd still hit the ground pretty hard. And then Neville, with sudden insight, lay still and closed his eyes. Stop! screamed a voice. Don't shoot us, we're dragons! With a flash of glorious satisfaction, Neville realized that he'd managed to get between two groups of dragons just as one group had fired on him. Harry had talked about this as a tactic for making the enemy afraid to fire, but apparently it worked a bit better than that. And not only that, the dragons believed they'd gotten him, since they'd seen Neville fall just as they fired. Neville counted to twenty inside his head, then opened his eyes a crack. The three dragons were very near him, head spinning rapidly as cries of Somnium and Skulls for the Skull Throne filled the air around them. All three had simple shields up now. Neville's wand was still in his hand and it didn't take much effort to point it at one boy's boots and whisper Somnium. 
Neville quickly closed his eyes and relaxed his hand as he heard the boy fall to the ground. Where did it come from? Screamed Justin Finch Fletchley's voice, and Neville heard rustles on the leafy forest floor, as of two dragons spinning around looking for an enemy. Reform ranks, bellowed Malfoy's voice. To me, everyone! Don't let them scatter you! Neville's ears heard the two dragons actually jump over his prone body as they ran off. Neville opened his eyes, pushed himself to his feet a bit painfully, and then pointed his wand and said the new charm that General Potter had taught them all. They couldn't do real illusion spells to confuse the enemy, but even at their age they could... Ventriloquo, whispered Neville, pointing the wand to one side of Justin and the other boy, and then yelled, For Cthulhu and glory! Justin and the other boy stopped abruptly, turning their shields toward where Neville had moved his battle cry, and that was when multiple cries of, Somnium! filled the air, and the other boy dropped before Neville was finished aiming. The last one's mine, yelled Neville, and then he started sprinting straight toward Justin, who'd been mean to him until the older Hufflepuff straightened him out. Neville was surrounded by his comrades, and that meant... Special attack! Chaotic leap! howled Neville as he ran, and felt his body lighten, then lightened twice again as his comrades got their wand turned toward him and quietly cast the hover charm. And Neville raised his left hand and snapped his fingers and then used his legs to push off the ground as hard as he could and soared through the air. Sheer shock painted Justin's face as Neville went over the other boy's shield and pointed his wand down at the form passing beneath him and cried, Somnium! Because he'd felt like it. That was why. Neville didn't quite get his feet turned around properly and rather plowed into the ground as he landed. But two out of three of the other Chaos Legionnaires had managed to hold their wands on him throughout and he didn't hit very hard. And Neville got to his feet, panting. He knew he should be moving. People were yelling Somnium all over the place. I am Neville, the last scion of Longbottom, screamed Neville to the sky above, holding his wand pointed straight up as though to challenge the blazing blue heaven itself, knowing that nothing after this day would ever be the same again. Neville of Chaos, face me if you debt. When Neville woke up afterward, he was told that Dragon Army had taken this as their cue to counterattack. The girl beside Harry slumped to the ground, taking the shot meant for him, and he could hear Mr. Goyle's distant gloating laugh as his broomstick blasted past them, cutting the air so hard it should have shattered in his wake. Luminous! cried one of the boys next to Harry, who hadn't been able to rebuild a magical strength fast enough to do it earlier, and Mr. Goyle dodged it without a pause. Chaos had only six soldiers left now, and Dragon Army had two, and the only problem was that one of these soldiers was invincible, and the other one was using up three soldiers just to cover him inside his shield. They'd lost more soldiers to Mr. Goyle than all the other dragons put together, and he was weaving and dodging through the air so fast that no one could hit him, and he could shoot people while he did that! Harry had thought of all sorts of ways to stop Mr. Goyle, but none of them were safe. Even using the hover charm to slow him down it was a continuous beam and much easier to aim, wouldn't be safe because he might fall off the broomstick. Throwing things in his way wouldn't be safe, and that was getting harder and harder to remember as Harry's blood froze over. It's a game. You're not trying to kill him. Don't throw away all your future plans for a game. Harry could see the pattern. He could see how Mr. Goyle was weaving. He could see how and when they all needed to fire in order to create a web of shots that Mr. Goyle wouldn't be able to dodge. But he just hadn't been able to explain it fast enough to his soldiers. They couldn't coordinate their shots well enough, and now they didn't have enough people left to do it. 
I refuse to lose. Not like this. Not my whole army to one soldier. Mr. Goyle's broomstick turned faster than anything should have been able to turn and started to angle in toward Harry and his surviving troops. He could sense the boy beside him tensing, getting ready to throw himself in front of his general. Screw this! Harry's wand came up, focusing on Mr. Goyle. Harry's mind visualized the pattern, and Harry's lips opened and his voice screamed, Luminous! 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 When Harry's eyes opened again, he found himself resting in a comfortable position with his hands folded over his chest, holding his wand like a fallen hero. Slowly, Harry sat up. His magic was aching. A strange sensation, but not an entirely unpleasant one, much like the burn and lethargy that followed hard physical exercise. The general's awake, cried a voice, and Harry blinked and focused in that direction. Four of his soldiers held their wands on a shimmering prismatic hemisphere, and Harry realized that the battle wasn't over. Right. He hadn't been hit by a sleep hex, just exhausted himself. So when he woke up, he was still in the game. Harry suspected he was going to get a lecture from someone or other about not exhausting his magic to the point of unconsciousness over a children's game. But he hadn't hurt Mr. Goyle when he'd lost his temper, and that was the important thing. Then Harry's mind clicked on another implication, and he looked down at the steel ring on his left hand's pinky finger, and almost swore out loud when he saw that the tiny diamond was missing, and there was a marshmallow lying on the ground near where he'd fallen. He'd sustained that transfiguration for 17 days, and would now need to start over. Could have been worse. He could have done this 14 days later, after Professor McGonagall had approved him to transfigure his father's rock. That was one very good lesson to learn the easy way. Note to self, always remove ring from finger before completely exhausting magic. Harry pushed himself up, making rather hard going of it. Using up your magic didn't exhaust your muscles, but dodging around trees certainly did. He staggered over to the iridescent hemisphere that contained Draco Malfoy, who was holding his wand aloft to sustain the shield and smiling coldly at Harry. Where's the fifth soldier? said Harry. Um, said a boy whose name Harry couldn't remember at the moment. I fired a sleep hex at the shield, and it bounced off and hit Lavender. I mean, the angle shouldn't have been right, but it did. Draco was smirking inside the shield. So, let me guess, Harry said, looking Draco directly in the eyes. Those neat little trios are the formations used by professional magical militaries? Made up of trained soldiers who can easily hit moving targets if their own hands are steady, and who can combine their defensive powers so long as they stay together? Unlike your soldiers? The smirk had vanished from Draco's face, which was now hard and grim. You know, Harry said lightly, knowing that none of the others would understand the real message passing between them, it just goes to show that you should always question everything you see your role model is doing and ask why it's being done, and whether it makes sense in context for you to do it too. Don't forget to apply that advice to real life, by the way. And thanks for the slow-moving clustered targets. Because Draco had already gotten that lecture, and, Harry suspected, discounted it out of suspicion that Harry was trying to shift his loyalties further away from pure-blood tradition. Which, of course, Harry was. But this example would make an excellent excuse, next Saturday, to claim that questioning authority was a merely practical technique for real life. And Harry would also mention the experiments he'd run, first with individuals and then with groups, to check that his ideas about the importance of speed had actually been correct by way of hammering home the point of Draco needing to keep an eye out at all times for chances to apply the methods in everyday practice. You haven't won yet, General Potter, snarled Draco. 
Maybe we'll run out of time, and Professor Coral will call it a draw. A fair and worrisome point. The war only ended when Professor Quirrell, in his personal judgment, decided one army had won by practical, real-world standards. There was no formal victory condition, Professor Quirrell had explained, because then Harry would figure out how to game the rules. Harry had to admit this was a fair cop. And Harry couldn't blame Professor Quirrell for not calling an end because it was plausible that the last soldier of Dragon Army could take out all five survivors of the Chaos Legion. All right, Harry said. Does anyone know anything about General Malfoy's shield spell? It developed that Draco's shield was a version of the standard Protego, which had several disadvantages, the most important of which was that the shield couldn't move with the caster. The upside, or from Harry's perspective, downside, was that it was easier to learn, easier to cast, and much easier to sustain for long times. They would need to hammer the shield with attack spells in order to bring it down, and Draco could apparently exert some control over the angle of reflection at which the spells would bounce off. The thought occurred to Harry that they could use Wingardium Leviosa to pile up heavy rocks on the shield until Draco couldn't sustain it against the pressure, but then the rocks might fall in afterward and hit Draco, and injuring the enemy general for real was not among today's goals. So, said Harry, are there such things as specialized shield-piercing spells? There were. Harry asked if any of his soldiers knew them. No one did. Draco was smirking again inside his shield. Harry asked if there were any sort of attack spells that wouldn't bounce. Lightning bolts, it seemed, were usually absorbed by shields rather than bouncing off them. No one knew how to cast any sort of lightning-related spell. Draco sniggered. Harry sighed. He quite deliberately laid his wand on the ground, and Harry announced, with some weariness in his voice, that he would just go ahead and take down the shield himself, using some method that would remain mysterious, and everyone else was to fire on Draco as soon as his shield went down. The Chaos Legionnaires looked nervous. Draco looked calm, which was to say, controlled. A thin, folded blanket came out of Harry's pouch. Harry sat down next to the shimmering shield and pulled the blanket over his head so no one could see what he did, except Draco, of course. From Harry's pouch came a car battery and a set of jumper cables. It wasn't like he was about to leave the muggle world to start a new era of magical research and not take along any way of generating electricity. Shortly after, the Chaos Legionnaires heard the sound of fingers snapping, followed by a crackling noise from beneath the blanket. The shield started glowing more brightly, and Harry's voice said, Don't be distracted, please. Eyes on General Malfoy. The strain was showing on Draco's face, along with the fury and annoyance and frustration. Harry smiled up at him and mouthed, Tell you later. And that was when a spiral of green energy shot out of the forest and smashed into Draco's shield, which shrieked like pieces of glass being rubbed together, and Draco staggered. In sudden, frantic panic, Harry took the jumper cables off the battery and fed them into the pouch. Then he fed the battery itself into the pouch, and then he tore off the blanket and grabbed his wand and stood up. All of his soldiers were still there and glancing around frantically. Contigo, Harry said, and his soldiers followed suit, but Harry didn't even know which direction the shield ought to be pointing in. Did anyone see where that came from? Shaken heads. And General Malfoy, would you mind telling me if you got General Granger? Why, yes, Draco said acidly. I mind. Oh, hell. Harry's mind began calculating. Draco inside the shield, Draco worn out now to some degree, Harry worn out too, Hermione in the woods who knew where, Harry and four other chaotics left. You know, General Granger, Harry said out loud, you really should have waited to attack until after I'd fought General Malfoy. You might have been able to get all the survivors. 
From somewhere came a girl's high-pitched laughter. <laughs> Harry froze. That wasn't Hermione, and that was when the dreadful, eerie, cheerful rant began to rise, coming from all around them. Don't be frightened. Don't be sad. We'll only hurt you if you're bad. Granger cheated. Burst out Draco inside the shield. She woke up her soldiers. Why doesn't Professor Quirrell? Let me guess, Harry said. The sickness already churning in his stomach. He really hated losing. It was a very easy battle, right? They dropped like flies. Yes, we got them all on the first shot. The look of horrified realization spread from Draco to the Chaos Legionnaires. No, Harry said, we didn't. Camouflaged forms were appearing among the trees. Allies, Harry said. Allies, Draco said. Good, said General Granger's voice, and a spiral of green energy blazed out of the woods and shattered Draco's shield to splinters. General Granger surveyed the battlefield with a definite feeling of satisfaction. She was down to nine Sunshine soldiers, but that was probably enough to handle the last survivor, especially when Parvati and Anthony and Ernie were already holding their wands on General Potter, whom she'd ordered taken alive—well, conscious. It was bad, she knew, but she'd really, really, really wanted to gloat. "There's a trick, isn't there?" said Harry, the strain showing in his voice. "There has to be some trick." You can't just turn into a perfect general. Not on top of everything else. You're not that Slytherin. You don't write creepy poetry. No one's that good at everything. General Granger glanced around at her sunshine soldiers, then looked back at Harry. Everyone was probably watching this on the screens outside. And General Granger said, "I can do anything if I study hard enough." Oh, now that's just bull. Somnium. Harry slumped to the ground in mid-sentence. Sunshine wins," intoned the huge voice of Professor Quirrell, seeming to come from everywhere and nowhere. "Niceness has triumphed!" cried General Granger. "Hooray!" shouted the Sunshine soldiers. Even the Gryffindor boy said it, and they said it with pride. "And what's the moral of today's battle?" said General Granger. "We, We can, can do, do anything, anything if we study hard, hard enough." enough. And the survivors of the Sunshine Regiment marched off toward the victory field, singing their marching song as they went. Don't be frightened. Don't be sad. We'll only hurt you if you're bad, and send you to a home that's true with new friends to watch over you. Be sure to tell them you were sent by Granger's Sunshine Regiment. Harry paced backward and forward in his general's office, which made a wonderful room for pacing. It didn't have any other uses, as far as he could tell. How? How? Hermione shouldn't have won that battle. Not on her first try. Not when she wasn't at all violent by nature. Automatically being a great military commander on top of everything else was too much, even for her. Had she read about the tactic in a military history book? But it hadn't been just that one tactic. She'd had her forces perfectly positioned to block any retreat. Her troops had been better coordinated than his or Draco's. Had Professor Quirrell broken his promise not to help her? Had he given her the diary of General Tacticus or something? Harry was missing something here, something really important, and his mind went around and around in circles, and he still couldn't figure it out. Finally, Harry sighed. 
He wasn't getting anywhere on this, and he had to go learn the breaking drill hex from Hermione or someone before the next battle. Professor Krill had explained to Harry, his voice amused but with a sharp undertone of warning, that no magical items except the ones I give you included muggle technology, no matter how much that wasn't magic. Plus, Harry also needed to figure out how to bring down Mr. Goyle next time. Battles counted for a lot of Quirrell points if you were a general, and Harry needed to get cracking if he wanted to win Professor Quirrell's Christmas wish. In his private room at Slytherin, Draco Malfoy stared off into space as though the wall in front of his desk was the most fascinating surface in the world. How? How? In retrospect, it had been an obvious sort of idea as cunning plots went, but Granger wasn't supposed to be cunning. She'd been too much of a Hufflepuff to use a simple strike hex. Had Professor Quirrell been advising her despite his promise? Or... And then Draco finally did what he should have done much earlier. What he should have done after the first time he met with Granger. What Harry Potter had told him to do, trained him to do, and yet Harry had also warned Draco that it would take time to make his brain realize that the methods applied to real life. And Draco hadn't understood that until today. He could have avoided every single one of his mistakes if he just applied the things Harry had already told him. Draco said out loud, I notice that I am confused. Your strength as a rationalist is your ability to be more confused by fiction than by reality. Draco was confused. Therefore, something he believed was fiction. Granger should not have been able to do all that. Therefore, she probably hadn't. I promise not to help General Granger any way that the two of you don't know about. With sudden horrified realization, Draco swept papers out of the way, hunting through the mess on his desk until he found it. And there it was, right in the list of people and equipment assigned to each of the three armies. Curse Professor Quirrell! Draco had read it and he still hadn't seen it. The afternoon sunlight poured down into the office of the Sunshine Regiment, illuminating General Granger in her chair as though she glowed with a golden aura. How long do you think it'll take Malfoy to figure it out? said General Granger. Not long, said Colonel Blazabini. He may have already. How long will it take Potter to figure it out? Forever. Unless Malfoy tells him, or one of his own soldiers realizes. Harry Potter just doesn't think like that. Really? said Captain Ernie McMillan, looking up from one of the corner tables where he was being crushed at chess by Captain Ron Weasley. They'd brought back all the other chairs after Malfoy had left, of course. I mean, it seems kind of obvious to me. Who would try to come up with all the ideas just by themselves? Harry, said Hermione, at the same time that Zabini said, Malfoy. Malfoy thinks he's way better than everyone else, said Zabini. And Harry doesn't really see most other people like that said Hermione. It was kind of sad, actually. Harry had grown up very, very alone. It wasn't that he went around thinking in words that only geniuses had a right to exist. It just wouldn't occur to him that anyone in Hermione's army besides Hermione could have any good ideas. Anyhow, Captains Goldstein and Weasley, you're on duty for thinking up strategic ideas for our next battle. Captains McMillan and Susan, sorry, I mean McMillan and Bones, try to come up with some tactics we can use. Also, any training you think we should try. Oh, and congratulations on your marching song, Captain Goldstein. I think it was a big plus for Esprit de Corps. What are you doing? said Susan. And Colonel Sabini? 
Hermione stood up out of her chair, stretching. <sighs> I'll try to figure out what Harry Potter is thinking, and Colonel Zabini will try to figure out what Draco Malfoy might do. And both of us will join you again after we come up with something. I'm going to walk while I think. Zabini, you want to come along? Yes, General, said Zabini stiffly. It hadn't been meant as an order. Hermione sighed to herself a little. This was going to take some getting used to, and although Zabini's first idea had certainly worked, she wasn't quite sure that Professor Quirrell's, quote, mixture of positive and negative incentives, unquote, would be enough to keep the Slytherin fully on her side until December when traitors would be allowed for the first time. She still had no idea what she was going to do with Professor Quirrell's Christmas wish either. Maybe she'd just ask Mandy if she wanted anything when the time came around. End chapter 31 Thank you to the following people. Hermione Granger, Anonymous Lauren Housley as Susan Bones Ernie McMillan, Eric Starling Neville by Adam Hartel This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening. Chapter 32 was last week's Christmas interlude. Come back next week for Chapter 33, Coordination Problems, Part 1.